Morning uh, Hope Church. This morning, we're going to look at the next in our series, Life with Jesus, which is based on John's letter, 1 John, in the New Testament. Now, this morning's subject is quite a gritty one. The subject is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And actually, when we're looking at the passages I'm drawing attention to today, we're looking at quite a, a sort of edgy side of John. I mean, he's the apostle of love, but he shows his teeth a bit here. And uh, I want you to stay with me as we explore some very important subjects together. I hope you had a good, strong cup of coffee before this, watching this, or perhaps you're sipping one as you watch. All good, because we need to get our brains in gear. Let's just briefly pray that God will help me and help you to get something out of this. Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful passages of your word. But Lord, I'm asking that your Holy Spirit will come and be with me and with every single person watching this so that we do hear your voice speaking to us and it makes a, an impact on our lives and brings change where we need to change. I ask that in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Okay, I've got three sections to my talk this morning and the first one is entitled what is truth and this is a bit of an introduction it's a bit of a broad big picture uh, one because I believe that the issue of truth is vitally important in our day and age in fact we live at a time when I think it's never been a greater battle the battle between truth and lies um, Maybe I'm exaggerating, saying never, because I just don't know what it was like to live in other ages. But certainly something's gone on, I would say, in the last 50 years, which has made the whole subject of truth quite a strange, almost tricky one for us today. Our society, our culture, and particularly the leaders, the intellectual leaders, the philosophical leaders, political leaders, um, people in the arts and media, in almost most walks of life, they seem to have taken a wrecking ball to the issue of truth. Now, I could spend all day exploring that the cultural implications of that and what it might mean, but I actually want to highlight two big lies in this first section. Two big lies that I believe our society has accepted, and in fact, I would argue are almost universally accepted in the Western world, where probably most of us listening to this are. And I think it's important we understand them because these two big lies, and I won't underplay it, that's what I consider they are, have had multiple dangerous implications for people and for the way we run our lives. And these are those two lies. Big lie one, there is no creator. Big lie two, there is no absolute truth. So our society generally speaking to you from the UK would say well you know we don't worry about a god or a creator the material universe is just the result of chance driven evolution and with regards to culture you know all truths are valid particularly this is said about religion all religions are equally valid or perhaps invalid depending if you're an atheist or not, I guess and you make your own truth up now, I would say to you clearly this morning, these are lies. They are not truths. And I want to take a moment or two to try and help you to get why I can say that so strongly. So I'm going to refer to three words which will come up. Contradiction, paradox and mystery. Now, I'm not going to give you too long an English lesson, but it's quite important to understand these. 
contradiction, paradox and mystery. These three are often confused. Now, there's a lot of paradox and mystery in the Bible, but there is not contradiction. In contrast, our society is building itself, I would argue, on two fundamental contradictions. A contradiction is something that violates the law of non-contradiction. It's a little philosophy lesson here, which is one of the most fundamental laws of logic. And this is that law. Something cannot be what it is and not be what it is at the same time and in the same respect. Contradictions cannot be understood because they are inherently unintelligible. Now, a paradox, and by the way, the, way, the word paradox is from the Greek meaning to seem or appear. So a paradox at first glance can seem a contradiction, but under closer scrutiny, a resolution is found. Mystery is something that is not clear to us at this time because we lack information or perspective or understanding. But one day or in one way, we will eventually understand it. Now, although mysteries and contradictions can seem similar, they are in fact different. We do not understand a mystery. We cannot understand a contradiction. Even God himself cannot understand contradictions but he can certainly recognise them for what they are, which is falsehoods. So let's just go back to these two big lies, I called it, that we're building so much on today. And I want to highlight the fact that they are inherently contradictions. To say, first of all, that the material universe has no creator, that it came from nothing, however far back it came from nothing, is a contradiction. It is irrational. Something cannot come from nothing. It is impossible for something to be both the creator and the created. Things cannot create themselves. It is nonsense. Now, the Bible says that the material universe was created by God and that God was not created. He is self-existent, the intelligent creator of everything there is. Now, that may contain many mysteries, but it is not a contradiction. It is not irrational. It is a totally sensible, rational proposition. And actually, it accords with our daily experience that causes and effects are linked together. An effect has a cause. In fact, I believe that explanation, which is fundamentally the Christian explanation, is the only rational explanation of the material universe, the one that makes sense. Let's go to the second. To say that there is no absolute truth is another contradictory and fundamentally irrational statement because it claims to be itself a universal absolute truth. In other words, it claims to be what it says doesn't exist. It's, it sort of trumps all other truths by saying, well, this is the truth, that there isn't any absolute truth. It's actually a sort of nonsense. It's, again, a falsehood. There is truth and there is untruth. It doesn't take you long to think about that. Look, all religions can't be equally true. You can't say, here's atheism and every religion you can think of. And when you die, every one of them will find that what they believed was true. That's not, that's not how it is. There'll be one thing that happens when we die and we'll all experience the same thing. And you could replicate that across. There are things that are true and untrue. 
Now this battle for truth is not just a modern battle. It's a very ancient one. 2000 years ago, Jesus was on trial before Pilate. When Pilate was examining Jesus, Jesus said, my kingdom is from another place. And then let's read the exchange that followed that. It's in John 18, 37 and 38. So Pilate responds, you are a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Now, when Pilate says that, what is truth? That sounds very modern, doesn't it? And I think it probably was said with both cynicism and possibly mockery, although I wonder if it was a bit of despair. It's a world weary statement, but it's not uncommon. What is truth? The battle for truth is as old as mankind himself. It tells us in Titus 1 verse 2 that God cannot lie. Very dogmatic statement. God cannot lie. Jesus tells us in John 8, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. So there is a fundamental light versus darkness thing that's been going on since the very beginning when Satan cast doubt on the truth of what God had said to Adam and Eve. And it's a battle that wages furiously in our generation both outside the church and inside the church. And we're just going to turn to inside the church a bit more now, because that's really where John's focusing. And we're going to read two sections of 1 John, 1 John 2 verses 18 to 23, and then I'll move on to 4, 1 to 6. 1 John 2 starting at verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And then chapter four, first six verses. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Now, I'm only going to take two sections uh, left of what I want to say. And the first one, I'm using the phrase, the last hour, which comes up in 1 John 2 verse 18, just to 
explore some interesting aspects of how we have certain battles in our time. This is an interesting phrase. John describes the time he's living in as the last hour. Pretty well every commentator says this is just another way of describing what is more frequently called the last days. So in the other New Testament writers call this period the last days, John calls it the last hour. But this is what we need to hear. This is the phase of history we are in. It's generally agreed they are all referring to the period between when Jesus died, rose again, went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which is all sort of just over a period of some short weeks, from the period when that happened right through until Jesus returns. And that period is called the last days, or in John's case, the last hour. And perhaps John's phrase isn't so ridiculous because on, in terms of world history, it is the last hour. It's 11 o'clock to midnight. We're in to the last phase of world history. And that's something we need to listen to and think about all of us because that is a consistent testimony of the Bible and of the New Testament particularly, that this is the last great phase of God's dealings with man. He's he sent his son, Jesus. The gospel has been preached. The hope is available for everybody throughout the whole world. They could the eternal life. They can come to know God as their father through Jesus Christ. The gospel's for everyone. This is the big push. And then comes the end. Now, a characteristic of this era, the last days or the last hour, is a repeated antichrist spirit. And that's what John makes clear. It's not just one person, it seems, but a, an attitude that's demonically driven. And the attitude is an antagonism to Jesus as he's portrayed in the New Testament and everything he stands for. And of course, an antagonism to his followers. It's a destructive and deceitful religious spirit, which always seeks to deny Jesus or to rubbish him sometimes openly and sometimes more deceptively and subtly. So this era we live in is a time of intense spiritual warfare, truth versus lies, light versus darkness. I think the devil is even more ferocious in this last hour, using John's phrase, because he knows his time's running out. Christians need to be very careful, alert and watchful. Now, John was writing in the first century and in the time when he was writing, there were a number of different versions of Jesus going around. People were preaching different things about Jesus. And uh, some Christians were beginning to lose track about, well, what, who is Jesus? What exactly is he? Is he God or is he man? And what, what did he do? And what's he doing now? And all sorts of things like that. And John is very eager to nail the truth about Jesus Christ as the apostles knew it and taught it. And I would argue that it's a bit similar in our day. Perhaps, as John is indicating, it, it will be similar right through the last days. But, but I do think there's an intensity today, and it's not hard, to, not hard to understand it. We live in days of global interconnection and global communication. So anybody can get hold of uh, the means of what well, we're doing it this morning, getting a camera and speaking and replicating their views and, and putting them out into the world. Now, obviously, there's a lot of good stuff, but there's a lot of not such good stuff and we can all access it. There's the Internet, there's TV, there's podcasts, there's social media. It's almost like an intensity is going on. 
Now, Jesus warned us, Jesus, that this would be a characteristic of the church age and of our age. Let me read you what Jesus said in Mark 13, verses 22, 23. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything in advance. So it's no surprise that this is a real issue in our time as well as the first century when John was writing. There is always a danger of false teachers and false prophets and who essentially they will usually emphasise something at the expense of other truths of Jesus. So it becomes unbalanced. Quite another common fault is to supplement what the Bible teaches with higher knowledge that only they or their followers have and that you need to know what they know to really be clear in your faith or clear as a Christian. Let's be wary of anybody who presents to us a Jesus who is just one sort of variety. Let me give you a list. A Jesus who is a socialist Jesus, a capitalist Jesus, a white Jesus, a black Jesus, a prosperity providing Jesus, a gay activist Jesus, and so on the list can go on and on. These are all Jesuses which look suspiciously made in the image of those who are speaking about them and promoting them. We must be careful. We must be careful ourselves, our personally, in our own churches, not to just emphasise aspects about Jesus that suit us and perhaps m marry in with what we we think we are or what we emphasise in, in, our, in, our, in other parts of our lives, one that suits us completely. We all need to encounter and worship and follow the real Jesus, the Jesus who is the Messiah, who is the saviour of the world, the Jesus who is truly God and truly man, the Jesus who is Lord of our lives. And so the Jesus who we serve and who we don't think is just there to serve us and our petty agendas. The Jesus who died for our sins because he knows fundamentally sin in the human heart is the, the root problem of everything else. So he starts where the real problem is. And so should we. The Jesus who, having died for us, rose again, physically rose again in the power of an endless life and sent his spirit to fill us, the spirit of Christ, that we might replicate what he did, that we might go around walking as he walked, as I spoke about last time I spoke from 1 John. The Jesus through whom we are born again, renewed, recreated, and have the Holy Spirit living in us and become children of God. This is the real Jesus, and we don't need any others. Jesus himself said this, it's pretty straight. John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's very specific. Jesus is the only way to truly know God and to know him as Father. All other claims to be ways to God, which either deviate from what Jesus teaches or who he was or don't even mention him at all, all those ways are false ways and do not lead to God. We need then to give real attention, we Christians followers of Jesus, to knowing the truth of who Jesus is, what he did, who we are in him. 
In fact, knowing the truth is the only way to be aware of the false things around. You know, you could look at lists and lists of things that could be wrong. And if you studied them all day long, big fat books on heresies or whatever you'd call them, false teachings, you would still not cover everything. There'd be The devil would find another one that you hadn't studied. You have to study the truth. You have to know who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Then you will smell a rat when you come across something false. You may not be able to put your finger on it. I often can't and I, I'm not always sure I'm right, but there's an unease in my spirit at something I hear. And, and when you get that unease, don't ignore it. You may not be able to fully sort it out or fully articulate it, but have a pray. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. Read something relevant, maybe in the New Testament, around the area what you're being troubled with, or maybe seek out an older Christian and just talk it out with them and say, I'm just a bit unhappy with this. It may not be a problem, but it might be. And it's certainly something you shouldn't ignore, which takes us on to my third and final section. Test everything. Actually, that's a phrase that Paul uses. John actually talks about test the spirits. Test everything. Now, let me give you a verse in Acts 17, verse 11, which I think is an interesting little provocation about this, about testing everything. Let me read it to you. It's Acts 17, verse 11. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, notice this. The Bible commends people who openly and honestly question and test the words of even the Apostle Paul. It doesn't say, you know, rude people, fancy thinking Paul might not be accurate. No, no, it actually commends them. It says they were noble and it says it was because they examined it to test it and see if what Paul said was true. So how much more does God expect us to take the same care over what we hear? All the preaching and teaching you hear from your local church. Yes, from me, from podcasts through books, through prophecies you receive or conferences you attend or blogs or posts or whatever we could list. Always be careful to examine the scriptures and see if what is being said is true, if it matches up with your Bible as best you can understand it. Listening to everything uncritically does not honour God or Jesus. Actually, it dishonours him. Because it looks as though you don't care whether it's true or not. Or maybe you're too lazy to bother to find out. Or perhaps even worse, that you're more concerned about offending other people than offending God. I never fall into that trap. We must be careful. Lord, I don't want to be following after something that is offensive to you or dishonouring to you. Here's a little quote from A.W. Tozer, a writer back in the 1950s. Gullibility, gullibility is not synonymous with spirituality. We may sin as certainly by approving the spurious as by rejecting the genuine. The New Testament is full of challenge about testing things. You'd be surprised. There's 22 times in the New Testament 
Christians are told to test spirits here or, or to, to, to be aware of. It might always use the word test. False teaching, teachers, prophets, apostles. There's a lot of warning about it in the New Testament. We're to understand and believe the truth so that we can recognise and refute error. There is truth and there is error. And you and I, as ordinary Christians, are not exempt from this responsibility. Far from it. John is writing to the whole church. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he talks about dear friends. And in verse 4, he calls them dear children. He is not writing to the leaders. He's writing to the whole church. This is not something only for leaders or for those with a degree in theology. You don't need a degree in theology to do this testing and assessing of what you hear. We are all engaged in this battle. We all have a responsibility to test everything, to test it against clearly revealed truth in the New Testament, to test it against what we've found and known to be true and to hold fast to it when we find it's good and if it's not good, to, to get rid of it or to not listen to any more. Now, right here in John's letter, there's a few little pointers to some of the things that help us. We haven't got time to explore them in length and they're actually quite simple and clear here. They're just basic uh, tests. One of the main tests of any teaching, according to John, is what they say about Jesus Christ. The teaching needs to reflect the great clear doctrines of the New Testament about Jesus and I've already mentioned them about him being truly God truly man all what he did on the cross and his resurrection all the things I mentioned a few minutes ago true teaching always glorifies Jesus Christ he Jesus is at the center of all good true teaching good healthy true teaching will leave you loving Jesus more will leave you worshiping him more will leave you wanting to please him more that's a good test of healthy teaching. A second main test, which is a bit linked really, is the test of scripture, particularly New Testament writing and the apostolic teaching. That's really what John's referring to in 1 John 2, 24 and 4, 6, where he's talking about his, what he saw, because he's one of the apostles, he's writing our Bible. And he's basically saying, does it harmonize with what we've taught you? And we need to ask the same question. Does it harmonise with what we've learned from the New Testament? Or does it add stuff? And listen to this carefully. Does it add stuff that you would never get from a straightforward reading of the New Testament? In other words, you'd never get that by just simple reading of it. You seem to have to know all sorts of special codes and inner knowledge and bits and bobs to make it make any sense. You have to weave something obscure from the Old Testament into it. That's the sort of thing that should give us alarm bells. Is this teaching based on God's word? Is it recognisably part of what the apostles taught? Now, we need to be aware that all true Christians, those who follow Jesus and love him, have the Holy Spirit living in them. And he's called the spirit of truth. And he, the spirit of truth that is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. The spirit of falsehood, as John calls it. So God's for you and with you and in you, and he will guard you and guide you. So it's very important that we don't get too frightened by this. We need to be courageous and clear and honest and assess things and explore things, but also not be fearful. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. Walk in the spirit. 
Live each day sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Avoid grieving the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. In other words, get thoroughly focused on what the Holy Spirit's doing and it will help you a lot. It is easy to be disturbed by all this when we realise that there's a lot of false teaching, a lot of false uh, stuff around, antichrist spirit, uh, a lot of confusion. And as I've already said from the very beginning, we live in an age when everything seems fluid, even truth is fluid. It's not truth. It's just what you make it and all the rest of it. And we can seem a bit overwhelmed. We might feel helpless. You might feel very puny. You might feel stupid. That's not unreasonable. You think, oh, I'm too stupid to sort this out. You're not. If you follow Jesus and know him, and if you can read your Bible, and if you can stay filled with the Spirit, he will be with you. He's greater, the one is in you, than the one who's in the world. Actually, the church could even seem pretty puny and appear stupid in contrast to some of the great philosophical statements and some of the assumptions that are made by our rulers and the great and the good and our scientists and philosophers and assumptions that are made by various pressure groups and, you know, you just look around at the world, it's full of giants, it's full of tech giants, it's full of multinationals and large religious movements and large religions. And it can feel all a bit daunting, but greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Remember who's in you, the spirit of the living God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth. He's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised us that if we follow him and are clear in our faith and following of him we will know the truth and the truth will set us free free from falsehood and free from fear so let us be confident that none of the false teachings and false teachers around are a match for the true son of god the real jesus the gospel will triumph in the end jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As we finish, I want to read you some wonderful verses from Philippians 2 verses 9 to 11 and a briefly pray. Just listen to the word of God. Therefore God exalted him, that's Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We just want to thank you, dear Father, that you sent your son Jesus to save us, to die for us. He was God and man, truly God, truly man. Thank you that not only did he die, he rose again in the power of an endless life and is now at your right hand and has sent the Holy Spirit to come and live and make this all real to come and live in us and make this all real to us. We thank you that Jesus Christ is Lord and one day every knee will bow to him. But this morning, Lord, we bow to you and we say, be Lord of our lives, be Lord of our church. And Lord, help us to be faithful to you and consistent in what we believe. Keep us from the evil one. Don't let us be led into temptation. Don't let us be led astray. Keep us, Lord, going right on through to the end, faithful and true to you. Be the truth in us and help us to reflect the truth to those around, the truth of your love, the truth of your grace, the truth of your forgiveness and renewal. Lord, we love you and we worship you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.